Well, good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here this morning. Revelation chapter 5. We are continuing our, actually ending our series in the book of Revelation today. It was a short five-week series, and we suspended it last week for our first service here, but we're going to wrap things up in Revelation, and we'll be starting a new series next week. We'll be telling you about it at the end of the service. Revelation chapter 5. To me, this chapter is one of the most sublime in all of Scripture. It may be only second to the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when we come to this chapter as well, this is one of the few chapters that I can say, based on the authority of God's Word, that you and I, you and I who sit here today will one day be in this scene. What John is having a vision of way ahead of time is what you and I will be experiencing one day before the throne of God. So one day you and I will get to go, hey, remember that Sunday when we talked about this and now we're here? We're actually here experiencing what John was given vision of a couple thousand years ago. I want to read the first four verses of Revelation 5. The book of Revelation is about the church's vision of Christ. The first four words of the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Unveiling him for us, being able to see who Jesus really is. And we continue that this morning whenever John says, I saw in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the front and back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a powerful angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. So I began weeping bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, a couple weeks ago in Revelation 4, we saw that the Father, God, was being worshipped as the Creator. Here in chapter 5, we're going to see that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is being worshipped as our Redeemer. But before we get to that, you'll notice here, as John is seeing this scene play out before the throne of God, his eyes are fastened and fixated on the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne, and in his throne is this scroll. And we need to talk about then, what is this scroll and why is it so important? Why is it eliciting from John such an emotional reaction? Well, first of all, this scroll is the plan of God that he has for his people and for this earth. It is God's plan to be able to reclaim the earth for himself totally and to restore his people to the destiny that he had always determined they would have. 
You see, way back in the book of Genesis, when God created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, his plan, his purpose for us as human beings, his destiny for mankind was that he set us over this earth and that we rule and reign on earth and that we have dominion over everything on the earth. The problem is when sin entered into the human race, it prevented us from having the capacity and the ability to be able to rule and reign on the earth as God intended. We are not going to have then the dominion and the capacity and the ability to be able to manage the earth as God intended for it to be. So man's role through sin has been diminished from the destiny God saw. But one day, God promised his people, I will restore you to that destiny again. And I will reclaim this earth once again for me and for me alone. You see, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of, of Eden, a usurper came and took control of the earth. We know him as Satan or the devil. That is why the Bible refers to Satan or the devil as the God of this world. That's why Jesus told his followers, my kingdom is not of this world yet. Right now, I am ruling and reigning in the hearts of those who trust me and believe in me, but my kingdom is not of this world. That's why when Satan took Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt Jesus, remember what he said to Jesus? He says, here's all the kingdoms of the world. If you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give you these kingdoms because they were his to give. Because as the ultimate usurper, he came in and swooped in after man's fall and he took control of what God had originally designed and destined man to rule over and have dominion over. So why the scroll is so important is because beginning in chapter 6, Jesus Christ begins to judge the earth and to remove all opposition and all challenge and all of those opposed to his rightful rule of this earth and to the destiny of his followers who he's always wanted to have dominion over this planet and to rule and to reign, you see. That is why... John is so upset in verse 4 when he doesn't see anybody who is worthy to open the scroll and reclaim the earth and to renew or restore the destiny for mankind. Notice the search goes universal, verse 3. There's no one in heaven. There's no one on earth. There's no one under the earth. Not only that can open it, but can even look into it. No one has the authority or power or uh, care, perfection of their character or even relationship to mankind to be able to do this. And yet, in Revelation 6, we see that the judgment of God begins because the Word of God says that the Father judges no one but has assigned all judgment to the Son of God, John 5, 22. You see, Jesus Christ will actually be 
the judge because of who he is. But the reason why in verse 4, John is weeping so bitterly, literally in the original, he is sobbing audible sobs. Here's a grown man. In fact, by this time, he's in his 90s. He's seeing what's taking place, and he's like, God, this is awful. If no one is found worthy to be able to take this scroll and to reclaim the earth and to restore the destiny for mankind, then that means, God, you will not be vindicated. That means that all of your followers will never be vindicated. That means that all of the wrongs upon this earth will never be made right. That that means no one will ever come in and, and take control of this mess on the earth and, and make things the way they should be. That means that mankind is destined to just all of this and just perpetual spiral downward on the earth and what a miserable eternal existence that would be if there is no one who's worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Amen. See, this scroll is very, very, very important. Again, all that God has promised us as his followers in his word, all that God has prophesied he will do one day on the earth is really contained in this scroll with seven seals. And if no one is worthy to open this scroll and to deal with things the way they need to be dealt with, then woe is all of us. And that's why John as he begins to see this scene played out in heaven, is weeping so bitterly, sobbing so uncontrollably, because to John, all hope is lost if there is not one found who can come before God the Father on the throne and take this scroll from him. That's the first part, but obviously it doesn't end there. Look in verse 5. One of the elders, a representative of an Old Testament or New Testament saint, said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and thus he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Hallelujah. Amen. There has been one, one found worthy one again who has the right the power the authority the relationship to us to be able to deal with what's going on on the earth to be able to reverse everything that's going on on the earth, to be able to reclaim the earth as his own and to be able to set up his people to rule and reign and have dominion on the earth as he always intended for us to have. Look, there is one who's worthy. Look at verse 6. Let's talk about the one who is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ, for just a moment. And I want you to see him in two roles today both first as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and then as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. First of all, look at verse 6. Then I saw standing in the middle of the throne area and of the four living creatures and in the middle of the elders a Lamb that had appeared to have been killed. 
You know what that's saying to us about the Lord Jesus, the Lamb? Is that he will forever, throughout eternity, carry the scars of his sacrifice and our redemption upon even his glorified body. You see, you and I, the scars that we receive on the earth, when we receive our glorified body one day, those scars and all the damage and all of that will be done away with. But so that all of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we will be reminded forever about the cost, the purchase price, the sacrificial price that Jesus paid so that you and I could enjoy our destiny for all of eternity. And he will carry those scars in his hands, in his side, forever. That's why when after his resurrection, when he appeared to his disciples and then to the one that wasn't there at first, Thomas, he tells Thomas, Thomas, you want me to show you that I am who I am? Then reach here and put your fingers in the nail prints. Put your hand here in my side where that spear went through. You see, that's why John says, I saw the lamb as though he had been killed because he will carry those scars throughout eternity. He is seen also in verse 6 as the lamb that has the seven horns and seven eyes, speaking of his omnipotence and his omniscience as God of very God, for in him bodily dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. He has the fullness of the Spirit because the seven spirits of God are part of this as well in verse 6. And as the Lamb, verse 9, notice they are praising him because he's worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were killed and at the cost of your own blood you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You and I were bought with a price. See, the Bible teaches that you and I were in bondage and in slavery to sin and that you and I needed to be delivered not only from the penalty of sin, for the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is first of all delivered from the penalty of sin. And that's the first thing the blood of Jesus does for us is you and I never need to worry about paying for our own sin because Jesus took the penalty upon himself and he paid for our sin upon his own body. Amen. Through his blood we have been redeemed. But Jesus not only delivered us from the penalty of sin, as you and I live our lives as Christians, even on this earth, he will deliver us from the power of sin. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's why salvation is not the end. It is just the beginning of learning to allow God to defeat anything in our life that keeps us from being who God created us to be. And so through his blood, there's not only the power to deliver us from the penalty of sin, there is power in the blood of Jesus to deliver us from the power of, power of sin. And one day when we are glorified with him, as we will be in this scene in heaven, one day he will deliver us from the very presence of sin. That's the power that the blood of Jesus has.
And when you and I realize the power of the blood of Jesus, you and I also then realize, as it says here, that Jesus Christ's blood is so powerful that you and I will meet in heaven one day before the throne of God, people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. There will be a worldwide representation of people in heaven who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ's blood is not only so powerful that it will save people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, but if every human being that had ever been born on earth would have wanted the blood of Jesus applied to their life and to save them from their sin. The blood of Jesus was powerful enough and is powerful enough that every human being that has ever been born could have been saved because Jesus' blood was powerful enough. Amen. And so even here today, if there are any here today that you have never been saved by the blood of Jesus, you need to be reminded that Jesus' blood was powerful enough not only to save me and to save others here, but it's powerful enough to save you and to deliver you as it delivered me from the penalty, power, and one day from the very presence of sin. That's the picture that John has of the Lamb and Jesus Christ's role as the Lamb of God. But that was primarily his role when he first came to earth, humbled himself as a baby born in Bethlehem, allowed himself and willingly laid down his life and allowed himself to be killed on the cross. But John says, I also see another aspect or role of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just the lamb. He is also one day going to take on the role of the lion of the tribe of Judah that we were introduced to in verse 5. And notice in verse 5, he says, he's already conquered that's why Jesus, when he did die on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. It's done. Hell has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Every enemy that comes against mankind has been defeated through not only the Lamb of God, but through the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And his victory is now our victory. Which is why Paul says to the Romans, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if there's a message overarching the book of Revelation, besides just learning about who Jesus really is, it is this message. Jesus wins. Amen. That's the message of Revelation. Short, two words. Condensed 22 chapters of the book of Revelation into two words, Jesus wins. And you and I who believe in Jesus, that means one day we win too. We are part of the victory that Jesus Christ will have one day when the Bible says that the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It was a verse that so resonated with George Frederick Handel that he wrote, The Messiah. He couldn't help but think one day all the earth will be the Lord's once again and all of his enemies will be his footstool and he will put down all who are against him, all who are opposed to him, but he will restore and reclaim this earth for his own and he will restore all those who believe in him to their rightful destiny to rule and reign with him over the earth. 
which is a key point. Because as the lion that conquered, notice verse 10, he as the lion now has appointed us, that's us, them, as a kingdom. We are part of God's kingdom. And as priest to serve our God. That's what a priest did. A priest was a full-time servant of the Lord. So you say, What's, what are we going to be doing in, in heaven and what are we going to be doing on earth in the kingdom of Jesus? We're going to be worshiping him. We're going to be ruling and reigning, and we're going to be serving in some capacity in the kingdom. Because notice these very key words at the end of verse 10. And they, meaning you and I who believe in Jesus and have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, they will reign not in heaven here, no, on the earth. (laughs) See, the Bible teaches that before we even talk about heaven and eternity in heaven, that God has a plan for this earth that isn't done yet, and that God's plan is that his people will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth. And that's why the scroll represents, if you will, the title deed to planet earth. It is Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy, taking the scroll from God the Father, seated on the throne, and taking back the earth for himself and restoring us to the place he always intended for us to be, to reign, to rule, to have dominion, to be able to manage the entire earth as he designed us to have all the way back in the book of Genesis. By the way, God is so great and so amazing that When Satan came and usurped this earth for himself, that didn't take God by surprise, nor did it throw God's plan off. And throughout all of these thousands of years that Satan has been the usurper and the God of this world, God obviously is still working out his plan and purpose for us and for this earth, even while allowing Satan to be the God of this world. So we have seen here, and again, this very sublime passage, what is the scroll? Why is it so important? Why is John so fixated on this and no one at first being able to open it up and loosen its seals? But then we see one stepping forward, the Lord Jesus himself, the only one that is found worthy, who takes the scroll from the Father's hand, who is able to loosen its seals and again reclaim the earth and restore our destiny because he was both and is both the Lamb of God who purchased for himself people from every tribe, language, and nation on earth, and he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah who will one day come in great power and great glory and judge this earth and put down all rule against him and will appoint us then as kings and as queens in his kingdom in which we will serve also as priests while we are here on this earth. And you can imagine, one day we're going to be right in this scene. And as John, thousands of years ago, sees this, then he begins to see something else. Because in the first seven or eight verses of this chapter, 
you and I are sort of focused on the scroll and the one who's taking the scroll and the one who holds the scroll and all of this. But in the last half of this chapter, for John, it's all about what happens in heaven when that happens. In a sense, he's looking now down through the quarters of time at what will be the response of heaven when Jesus Christ steps forward and takes the scroll and begins to loosen its seals. And all I can tell you as we start to examine this from verse 8 on through verse 14 is there's this crescendo of praise and worship in heaven. I like to look at it as there's like a shock wave of worship that it emanates from the very center of the throne of God and just sort of ripples out and begins to affect all who see it because what they are seeing is what we were created to see, even as human beings. We were created for glory, and we were created to display and, and see glory. And when you and I see God in truly his glory, there's just no other response that we can give other than what we see happening here in Revelation 5. Amen. When mankind saw glory throughout the Bible, what happened to them? Well, their knees buckled, their throat got a little tight, their stomach started to churn. These are all, you know, emotional and physiological responses to seeing God in his glory. And one day, you are going, and I are going to have that privilege as well when we finally behold him and see him for who he really is. So notice in verse 8, when he had taken the scroll. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, again, representative, I believe, of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, threw themselves to the ground before the Lamb, each of them having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. By the way, notice verse 8, which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that precious? Does that not remind you that God keeps track of all of our prayers? Just as the Bible says he also keeps track of all of our tears, he keeps track of your prayers up there in heaven. And then verse 9, the Old and New Testament saints of God of all the ages, that means you and I are in this verse, in these verses. They were singing a new song. That's why I'm telling some of you, some of you got to get on board with singing because I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, you better. In fact, here's what I think God's going to do. I think God's going to get some of you. Some of you who don't like to sing or worship down here, he's going to put you right in the front of that heavenly choir. He's going to say, here, you, you, you didn't want to come in at 10 o'clock here? Well, guess what? Extra worship practice for you. Because there's going to be singing and worshiping and adoration and blessing in heaven, just as we see here. And they say, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were killed, and at the cost of your own blood, you've purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you've appointed them as a kingdom and priests. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But again, so that starts, this shockwave but it doesn't end there. Notice the angels don't want to be left out. So notice verse 11. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels in a circle around the throne, as well as the living creatures and the elders. And notice this. Their number of angelic beings was 10,000 times 10,000 thousands times thousands. Can I just tell you that's God's way of humbly saying they're innumerable. <laughs> There's so many of them, you can't even begin to fathom how many angels are up there worshiping and singing to the Lord. So get the picture that we're going to be in one day. Here comes the lamb up to God the Father on the throne and takes this scroll from him, and all of a sudden, people begin to throw themselves down in worship before the lamb, and they begin to sing a song. And all the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints are singing their hearts out to the lamb of God, to the one who's worthy. And then the angels go, we don't want to be left out. We want to worship Jesus too. And an innumerable vast amount and number of angels just begin to sing their hearts out to the Lord as well because that's what it says in verse 12. They don't want to be outdone. Notice what it says. And details are very important in the Bible. They're singing now in a what? A loud voice. It's like, we're not going to let those Old and New Testament saints, those earthly beings, out-worship us. No, we are the angels who've been here all along. We're going to sing to God and we're going to sing louder than they do. And it doesn't stop there. No, then the Bible says in verse 13, then all of creation joins the angels and the saints of God down through history. Then I heard John said, every creature, no exclusions, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that is in them, and what are they doing? They are singing. They are worshiping the Lord. They are praising him. I mean, can you imagine this one day? I mean, you and I, you know, we're like, oh, that's, that's going to be good. That's going to be great. You and I cannot even begin to fathom what this scene is going to be like. But here's the great thing, and I, I, hope, I hope this gripped you today. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you're going to be in this. We are going to be here in this scene. We're going to hear what it sounds like to have all the Old Testament and New Testament saints singing their hearts out to God. We're going to hear what it sounds like to have an innumerable company of angels singing in loud voices to God, worshiping him because he's worthy. And then... God is going to give us the capacity to be able to hear every creature in creation singing to him as only they can. What a scene it will be because there was one who was worthy. There was one who had the perfection of character, one who has the authority and power, one who has his relationship to us, mankind, because he became one of us so that he could be a sympathetic high priest who's, who's not incapable of being touched with our weaknesses and our, our human frailty, but in all points like us was tempted yet without sin. And because Jesus Christ is worthy all of creation one day 
will bow before the throne and bow before the Lamb of God and worship him. Because all that you and I are and all that you and I have and all that you and I will be and become and be able to enjoy and experience throughout all of eternity is only because there was one who was worthy. And he deserves all worship, all praise, all adoration, all blessing. And I got to thinking as I was preparing for this message, you know, if we're going to be in this scene one day and we're going to experience it, why not start to get a little taste of that right now? And then God said, yeah, Jeff, that's good. And then he said, oh, and by the way, in your new auditorium, Guess what? There's three sections. And guess what? There's three different groups that's giving God praise. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do with me this, this morning. I'd like to start with this group over here. Yeah. I'm going to get to you all. I'd like to invite you to stand with me, please. You all stay seated. You'll join them. This group over here, this is the representation of the Old and New Testament saints, okay? Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would like you to join with me as we recite and declare and say what this group is going to say one day, and I would just like you to repeat it after me, so that way you don't have to try to, like, you know, get it out, whatever, okay? And I'll try to go slow and take small chunks, so just repeat after me. You all watch them, because you're going to be right there in just a few minutes, all right? Here we go. You are worthy to take the scroll. I like your enthusiasm. Good. Keep it up. And to open its seals. And to open its seals. Because you were killed. Because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood. And at the cost of your own blood. You have purchased for God. You have purchased for God. Persons from every tribe. Persons from every tribe. Language, people, and nation. You have appointed them, you have appointed them as, kingdom and priests as kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Amen. You did great. You remain standing now. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Now I'm going to invite the middle section to stand, please. You guys get to be the angels. Some of you look a little angelic this morning. And here's what the angels proclaim in a loud voice. Please recite with me and repeat after I share these words. Worthy is the lamb who was killed. Worthy is the lamb who was killed. To receive power and wealth. And wisdom and, might, and wisdom and might, and honor and glory and praise. And honor and glory and praise. Amen. You did wonderful, angels. 
And now, last but not least, to the last section, would you stand with me? You represent every other creature in creation. I'd, I'd say, like, they look a little creaturely, but no, I won't go there. <laughs> Here's the thing. You all get the privilege of honestly representing everything and everyone else in creation. I, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> a great privilege. So would you please repeat after me, to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, glory, and ruling power forever and ever. Amen. Doesn't it feel great when we worship the Lord? <laughs> As we wrap this up this morning, if you're here today, and you do not know the Lamb of God that came to purchase for himself your heart and soul through his blood, I would invite you to come today to acknowledge I, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I would love to be in this scene one day because I can tell you with a surety that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will join the rest of us who know him in this scene one day. You'll be right there with us, praising and worshiping the Lord. Would you seek one of us out, someone you trust to share with you how you can know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? But secondly... I believe that most of us in this room probably already know the Lord. So I think for us, it's do we allow some passage like this to so grip our hearts that our heart cries out, God, I want to be an even more enthusiastic and devoted worshiper of you because I realize and I'm beginning to realize, and you're beginning to show me that everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that one day I will be, everything that I will be able to enjoy and experience for all eternity, God, is only because of you, because you are the lamb, because you are the lion of the tribe of Judah, because you are worthy to take that scroll and reclaim this earth as your own, that one day, God, I can look forward to as a Christian in hope, that one day, God, you will right the wrongs of this earth. You will make things right. You will vindicate your yourself before this world. You will vindicate your followers in this world. And God, you will make things the way you've always intended for them to be. And God, because of all of this and even more, God, I just want to fall down before you. I want to raise my voice high and I want to worship you like never before. I, I just pray that, that God would use this in our lives, in the life of our church, and in us as individuals to just raise the level of our worship to the one who is worthy. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray right now that we're going to have an opportunity even here right now in this auditorium to sing like one day we will sing before your throne. And that as Nicole even prayed earlier, God, right now we actually have the privilege of being able to sing and worship you even though we've never physically seen you, but we know, we know you're real God. We know you're alive. We know you rule and reign. 
we know you're worthy. So God, I pray right now that there would be such a fire lit in our hearts for you, that God, what flows through our veins even as human beings is the, is the fire of God, and that, God, we would get fired up like never before to bring praise and honor and glory to you, to bless you, to worship you. And God, I pray that we would take these next few moments beyond this very sublime and sobering passage of Scripture and that our hearts would be raised to a new height, a new level, and that our spirits would just be so refreshed and so rejuvenated by what we've heard here today already and what we've experienced here today already, that all we can do, God, is worship you like never before, sing to you like we've never sung before, God, and realize that one day, God, all that we will have on earth, all that we will have in eternity throughout, throughout eternity in heaven is because there was one who was worthy. And now we get the opportunity to praise you for being the one who is worthy. God, would you accept our worship? Would you magnify our worship? Would you multiply our worship? Would you resonate and begin to send a shockwave, if you will, of worship from this place out into our community and that everywhere we go as your worshipers, God, that we would take our worship of you with us and that people would be drawn to the Lamb of God and that we would increase our worship of you each and every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.